Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. And today, I am super excited to welcome to the show, Derek Deke Dietrichson. Deke is a tiny house and treehouse author, builder, and designer, and a workshop host. He is the former HGTV host of Tiny House Builders and Extreme Small Spaces. Deke actually gave me my very first tiny house speaking opportunity at a live building event that he held inside of an art museum. I have enjoyed attending his tiny house summer camp and many other workshops, and I know this is going to be a great conversation. So welcome, Deke, to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Hey, thanks, Ethan. Good to see you, man, or hear from you, or either or. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah, we've got a rare, rare video interview right now. This is cool. Yeah, I didn't know that was your first speaking engagement. I really didn't know that. I I feel like it was. I I don't think I had done any other workshops before that. And so you were like, hey, do you want to come down and, and talk talk to some people in the basement of this art museum? I was like, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Now I can say, I discovered Ethan Waldman. <laughs> Maybe you did. Yeah. <laughs> so I follow you on Facebook, and you're constantly posting new art pieces, music, buildings, designs. What can you tell us about that you're working on right now that you're psyched about? Oh, man. Um, I just was out in, uh, with Dustin, my brother, Dustin, a.k.a. Lurch. Uh, we were out in New Mexico in the desert camping out, and, and uh, I had designed a new cabin that I didn't have. the t- At this point in time, sometimes I don't have the time to build them myself. So Sam and Lindsay Underwood from the Small Dwelling Company, who are awesome, I teamed up with them. They built something out there, and that, that's a video I have coming. Um, we're heading out to Joshua Tree in two days to do another build. So I have a lot of workshops in the way, one in Omaha, Nebraska, North Carolina, a cool treehouse one slash tiny house building in Monroe, uh, Monroe, Washington, outside Seattle, where we did a build for a treehouse for Airbnb last year. And then we have another Fuller Craft Museum, hands-on Diedrichson Brothers workshop coming up in May as well which we're hoping Mr. Ethan Waldman can attend. I'm going to be at that one. That's right. Yeah. So those are a lot of fun because it's you have a whole museum to yourself to build, to run around in, to go crazy. To I mean, it's kind of like kid in a candy store kind of thing to have that much space and free reign in a legit museum. Yeah. Do they know what happened at these 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 things? How do they ever trust you to do this? <laughs> yeah. I, well, they, they beef up security usually and, you know, <laughs> put some shock collars on Dustin and I to make sure they can keep us in line. But no, no, we haven't broken anything yet. And we've done a bunch of museums lately. We did one uh, last year. No, early. Yeah. Last year in Los Angeles, we got a random call and they flew us out to the build stuff in an L.A. museum, which is a little bit surreal. So we've been doing all these like art builds as well as tiny house stuff, tree house stuff. Uh, and 15,000 other things. And I got a new book coming out in October as well that's a kind of a follow-up to Micro Shelters. Not so Micro Shelters? No, Micro Living is the title as of now. I don't know if I'm supposed to even say that because what happens is a bunch of like pirate losers go out there and steal the title and release like a pamphlet that's three pages. Like someone put out a Micro Shelters book and stole photos from Michael Garnier, who's like the treehouse builder, and then stole content from someone else and sold this book, which has like one star as a rating. But if you fool enough people, they're making money off it. Right. So let's let's say that the title is not micro living. <laughs> I maybe I'll bleep that out. Yeah. Make something else up. Yeah. Yeah. Someone I, I remember like within 
two weeks of me publishing Tiny House Parking on Amazon, someone had published Tiny House Parking and then the like subtitle was almost the exact same phrase with like someone just like went to a thesaurus and was like, what's the alternate word for like finding and land? But I found out that there's no copyright on a title and the I bought the book to see. I gave them a sale, but they they hadn't stolen any of the the interior content. But ugh. but it's still yeah. You know, people are like kind of sucking off your fan base and your hard work and stealing that title. Yeah. In some cases, Stephen Harrell from Tiny House Listings, he gets ripped off all the time too. You know, people using that term and other things, and and on YouTube too, where I, I have like four hundred fifty videos, people just outright steal your video content and t- like will take your whole video and put it in their channel and remonetize it. Yeah, I think there's a certain a certain guy with a, a vegetable for a middle name that does that. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. Don't <laughs> yeah, don't get you started on that guy. Now I'm angry. <laughs> David Avocado Wolf, you'll get yours. That guy is a bum. So most people can barely handle building one tiny house at a time. How do you keep track of all these things? Coffee. I don't, man. Sometimes I forget stuff all the time. You know, it'll be my birthday and I won't be like, oh, it's my birthday. You know. Yeah, I got post-it notes and notebooks everywhere. The problem is I have so many of those that I often lose the notes or the notebooks that have the notes within them to keep me in line as to what I might be doing coming up. There's not enough hours in the day. I just want to build a lot of stuff. And there's, I don't know, there's just, there's so many other things I have coming up I'd like to get to. Like Dustin and I just bought some land uh, in Joshua Tree, the area. And that's going to be another future project and maybe tiny house summer camp west down the road. Killer. But yeah, if if I can get out there through this blizzard, we'll be exploring that land, which needs a lot of love. It's like a house like exploded there and it's like a junkyard, but we'll fix that. That sounds awesome. So that's that's another project. Nice. And at your workshops, you focus on having people build kind of quick, funky structures, maybe with alternate framing. Yeah. Not not insulated, not finished in the sense of like a tiny house that you could live in. What do you think are the benefits of that kind of experience versus, you know, working on a tiny house on wheels that's built kind of in a more standard way? Yeah, yeah, sure. Great question. Uh, Initially, we started doing builds where we tried to wrap everything in and we found out in a workshop that's only, you know, most people are only going to have enough time to sign up for a two or three day workshop. It gets longer than that. They can't take off from work. And to make it worthwhile, it would have to be so expensive for me to hire help and all these things that no one would be able to sign up for such a workshop. And there are some out there like that. But um, we found out early on when we tried to do everything that people would leave having not really completed that much. Like in a weekend, like, oh, we got the base of a tiny house and wheels done and a couple walls and kind of showed them a little insulation. But beyond that, it wasn't so satisfying. Didn't get to the rafter work. You know, there's no plumbing. So what we do is kind of a microcosm of that where the projects we choose is small as they may be, I try to wrap in all the knowledge you would need to build a tiny house. The framing, uh, we, we've done insulation of plenty of them too, but insulation, like you could be a total moron and be able to do that. It's so simple. So we'll talk about it. In some cases, bring some pieces in and do it. You know, it takes five minutes to show people. But I, you know, I don't think you need to, some people can't grasp the concept. I'll admit that like, we didn't build what is exactly defined as a tiny house. But we wrapped all the know-how into it, and we have talks on space efficiency, on systems. I bring in a load of guest speakers because the the running theme is like, A, come here and make your mistakes while learning on this project instead of your own. You know, you've paid good money to come here, so do that. And B, let's make this eclectic and not in a hotel ballroom. I hate those workshops. I've taught them before. 
I don't think they're particularly inspiring. So I'll get like 10 different demo leaders and, and co-hosts. So when you're sick of seeing my dumb face and hearing from me, in comes Ethan Waldman, Paulo Coleman, you know, uh, Jess Sullivan, or all the other people we seem to wrap into the workshops. Because I want variety. I don't want it to be the same me yakking at them. That's not fun. So I try to make it overkill with small projects that we can complete in three days. So people can go home with a photo of like, look what I built over the weekend. Not two frame walls, but actual structure. Yeah, I think that having experienced your workshops, I can see that people leave feeling so excited and also having really gained new skills. I mean, I remember teaching people how to drive a screw in with a screw gun that they had never done that before. And it's just like hugely empowering. We have all walked, we get, we'll get people have never nailed two boards together and they'll leave knowing how to frame, you know, roof a structure and all these things because they really take advantage and, and mine the different hosts with, with questions and, and just ask them. And we camp out in a lot of these too. So it's not like at five o'clock, get the hell out. We're going to, we're going out the Bennigans to get, you know, drinks or <laughs> are there Bennigans anymore? I don't know. But, uh, you know, afterwards people are hanging out. We'll be camping out. So day and night and morning. You're talking to these people, networking with them, and really getting to, to pick the brains of the different tiny house builders, dwellers, you know, bloggers, and all that. So I learn a lot every workshop, to be honest, because I try to bring in different co-hosts all the time. If it weren't inspiring to me, I don't think I would do them because they're an ulcer to set up, to be honest, especially when there's an impending blizzard that might cancel my flight for my next workshop in two days. <laughs> yeah, you poor, poor Boston people just getting hammered. And I want to get out of Boston, you know, weather-wise. It's a double-edged sword, but it's risky to do so in the winter. As you know, you're in Vermont, so traveling is just rough because you get canceled and snowed out all the time. We're supposed to get another 10 or 12 inches of snow. I'm so thrilled. There is an unmistakable style and aesthetic to your work. And I'm curious, how, how did it develop? Just being cheap. No, I don't know, man. Um Kind of like a lot of my builds are with salvage materials because growing up, I didn't have a ton of money. And as a kid, you have no money. So a lot of the stuff I built was illegally in the woods on the property of others. It had to be hidden, had to be small. And we just would like mine dumpsters and construction sites and and find what we could that was being discarded. And to a certain point today, I still do that, but like on a more professional and uh, I don't know curated level like i'm very choosy with the stuff i grab you know i'm not out there unbend unbending nails anymore although i do that occasionally um you see a lot of tough techs it's not because they sponsor me because at one point they didn't i've done a lot of tree houses and that is like an alternative to doing three season structures that have a lot of light because i guess most of my de designs have an abundance of light and bright colors and they're you know, a little bit whimsical garish even but I like taking junk and that which is unloved and trying to infuse it into a structure to add character to it and to save money. And not only that, to keep things out of the waste stream, there's like, it's a threefold approach. But I don't know where the style came from. I've just really been into a lot of like kind of whimsical and modern getaways when I was a kid. Not even tiny houses, but like weekend camp structures that were really affordable to build. But the transforming A-frame plans I have on RelaxShacks.com, shameless plug, that's one of those. It's uh, it's a structure that can be, able for, can be built for 1200 bucks, so you don't have to be a Rockefeller to build a getaway. And uh, I got a couple other things coming up that are 
in that line. And the thing we just built out in New Mexico is one of those that was built for under 2000 bucks. And it has potential to be potential, you know, you insulate and add a bathroom, a couple little things. It could be a tiny house. Nice. Yeah. I, I love your designs for sure. And I've built, I've built one. Yeah. Yeah. The cub. Yeah. The cub, the cub cabin. Yeah. I built it not on a trailer, but I built it to the size that you specified. So I could put it on a trailer. Yeah, that thing was tiny. That was the first one was built in my backyard, and it's uh, it's sad that I can't. Yeah, it's in my book, Micro Shelters. Actually, I had to think about that for a second because I get the books confused. And that was built really affordably and designed to be a single axle bunkhouse on wheels that I could pull with my soccer mom mobile, my Chrysler minivan. We drove that thing to Vermont, up some dirt road mountains once and a couple other places out of state. And now it resides somewhere in Pennsylvania. So it is roadworthy and weighed uh, 1,500 pounds. Well, that's a perfect setup for my next question because in your book, Micro Shelters, you recommend assembling a car kit, a car tool kit for salvage. So I'm curious, what do you keep in your tar- car at all times? Uh, it's my. I'll, I'll admit that my tool kit in there isn't as abundant as it once was. My old van was like the Sanford and Son redneck shed and wheels. And now we have a slightly nicer van. You know, my my wife is neat and orderly. I am not. So she's trying to keep me in line, rightfully so. Um, I usually have like a cat's paw or some kind of crowbar. I have a like a beater drill, not an impact one, but just like a junky little Ryobi one. Uh, The good stuff I leave at home just in case someone busts into my vehicle. A couple screwdrivers, like at least a Phillips head screwdriver. I do bring like a tarp. I have some old gloves in case you find something that's rather messy. Uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, you know, there's safety goggles. I always have those, a tape measure in case I, you know, so it's things like that. Just in case I have happened to stumble upon something on the road that needs a little bit of dismantling the tarp. And I always joke, you know, with this stuff, you think I work for the mafia disposing bodies. Um, while that may be lucrative, I haven't delved into that field as of yet, but with the tarp, I don't want to mess up my vehicle. So if I'm throwing old windows or something, it's a little bit grimy that I found in a rainstorm, I'll throw the tarp, spread it out in the back of the van and then load the stuff in. It uh, avoids some marital stress in the long run. And it's a unique skill, I think, to be able to determine when you see something on the side of the road, is this worth taking? You have to be able to look into the future and see, do I have a need for it right now or do I have a potential need for it or is this just trash? Well, it's a fine line because luckily I have enough land where I can hoard some of the stuff. I recently, with Alex Eves, who I did the box truck tiny house conversion with, you did an interview with him at one point, uh, boxtruckfilm.com to plug it. So him and I, or he and I just did a, we got permission to do a pick at a house that was several towns away through a connection. And we got to go in there and do like crowbars, tearing apart walls, pulling doors off, which was a lot of fun. Those don't come, come our way too frequently. It's amazing the amount of stuff that's chucked. Um, when you have an opportunity like that, the double-edged sword is all of a sudden, under a tarp in my backyard, I have like 14 French doors and all these things that I will sell eventually or use. But right now they're a burden to me because I have to store them, keep them clean. I don't want them being rained on, rotten, warping. And we got all this other weird stuff like uh, stained glass lamps, all this stuff that's of value. But after a while, like, where can I store this stuff until I can use it or sell it? That's the problem. You got to be careful. I think when you're old, you're going to have like a junk store in your house. Well, no, my dream, honestly, is not so much to have like a warehouse to build tiny houses and crazy structures. And although I'd have like indoor treehouse offices and beyond that, I'd I'd love to live in a treehouse. My wife won't go for that. But that's my dream. 
but uh, I'd love to have an architectural like salvage warehouse that's part like giant man cave clubhouse with a Dr. Dre like fridge of beer, some old beat armchairs and just me finding and reselling and cleaning and rebuilding junk into other things. Like I just love that. It's creative. It's fun. And I do it nonstop. I just don't have the space for that. Well, I'll be there when you do it. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it'd be fun. Yeah, I want to get like a collective of a couple people together, actually. So Paulo Coleman, here's, he's he's another one. You should interview him at some time, but he's more ADD than I. So the answers will be, believe it or not, longer than mine and more varied. <laughs> so everyone is always asking how to get reclaimed materials for their build. And someone could say, oh, well, of course, Deke's going to get all this stuff. He's he's well known. He already has established kind of a network. People know that he's looking for this kind of stuff. What are your tips for someone who is just starting out to, to find good salvage materials? Well, I mean, me, I guess in the tiny house scene, let's say I'm well known that real, I don't know, that's debatable, too. You have a reputation around town as the guy that picks track. Yeah, I do. But a lot of stuff I find isn't around town. I do get calls from certain people knowing what I do when they have stuff instead of throwing it away. Like a friend of mine through Cub Scouts is like, oh, we just had an Ikea bed we took apart with all these pine wood slats. You want them? Sure, bring them over. I'll use them for something. But honestly, it's not really that tough to find stuff. I live near a major metropolitan area. Boston, Massachusetts is 12 miles from me. So there's a lot of people around here and a lot of wasteful people, which is good and bad. So there's stuff always being thrown out the curb. So I don't really... I just drive around not looking for it. I just happen to pass it every day and see stuff on the side of the road. I can't tell you how many times I don't have time to stop knowing like I could flip that right there without painting it and make $100 or I could use that for whatever or that's made of mahogany. Um, you develop an eye for it after a while and you just I joke that I have like one eye that keeps, you know, that watches the road. The other Marty Feldman or, you know, cross eye, whoever style scans the sidewalks as I'm driving. And I have kids, too. I don't talk about them much, but I do have kids, and they have an eye for salvage. It's unbelievable, the stuff. They will point out that I will miss sometimes, and they've gotten good at it. So it's an acquired skill, I guess you would call it. But just, you know, even if you're not in the scene or a blogger or an author, just put the word out. If you plan on building something in the not-too-distant future through social media, through whatever, just put the word out. I want to build X, Y, or Z. If anyone has any materials, let me know. You'll be surprised at the paints, stains, wood, stuff that's left over in, in, you know, Aunt Lois's garage that was never, that never came to fruition. You'd be amazed at the stuff people want to throw your way because they almost feel ashamed that it was never used and they would love for it to be built or, you know, harvested, used into something. I totally agree. When I was building that cub, I responded to a Craigslist ad for Windows that I didn't end up using for the project. But when I was at this woman's house, she was like, oh, I have I have a door that you could have. And they were about, to, I was like, I need a trailer for this project. And I saw that they had a little utility trailer sitting in the side yard. And her husband was like, yeah, you know, I use that just once a year to transport my snowmobile. If you can think of, if you can come up with like a ramp system for me, I'd give you the trailer. And I, I didn't do it. I, I like looked into it and it was to build a ramp was going to be more in depth. And they sold ramps that you can use for a pickup truck, but it was about the same price as buying a new trailer. So it was a wash. But I was just amazed at how willing they were. Once I was there, once they 
got the sense that I was going to build something with what they had and use it, they're so willing to let me rummage through their entire attic. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people who are very um, eco-minded or just very giving, even if it has nothing to do with the environment. I There's certain things I can't use that after a while I will admit defeat. I'm like, I never used those old camper windows I had, and I tried to sell them and no one wanted them. I'll put them at the curb, and when I see someone taking them, I'm thrilled. And if I happen to be checking my mail while they're out or they're nearby, they at first are going by kind of skulking and embarrassed or picking through the trash. I will strike up a conversation, encourage them, and ask what else they need because in my shed, God knows how much stuff I have in there that needs to be gone. Um, I, I've done so many like picks on, on you know houses being renovated where I ask permission to pull storm windows and windows out, and the people always come out, hey, what else do you need? Because they want to get rid of it. And in that case, if there's a dumpster present, the less weight they have in that dumpster, the less they have to pay for it to be disposed. So you're kind of doing them a favor. Keep that in mind. It's the power of asking it. You know, what's the worst someone's going to say? No, get off my property. <laughs> it's happened before, but it, more times than not, people are very willing and thrilled to give you their stuff and let you even go through what they haven't put on the curb. How did you get the name Deke? Believe it or not, this is like very un-rock and roll. Um, I used to play high school tennis. I was state ranked as, as a tennis player at one point in time. And people who know me now think I'm lying. Um, but on the tennis team, it just became my nickname. That and the Vulcan, because I showed no emotion when I played people, whether I was, whether I was winning or losing. <laughs> and it would drive my opponents crazy. When I went to college, I went to RIT for a year to study film. And on my floor, there were three Derricks. So every time someone would yell for Derek, all three heads would pop out the door in the hallway. So I just said, uh, you know, uh, in high school, they called me Deke, you know, and, and amongst my friends there, it stuck. Later, I worked in radio as a broadcaster for WBCN, which was a huge station out of Boston, a modern rock station with Howard Stern. I just kept that as my radio name. And uh, at this point, my mother calls me Deke. You know, it's like very few people call me Derek. Most of them, if they do, it's just to kind of try to piss me off. It doesn't bother me. That's my actual name. So. So, yeah, I guess it's from uh, like freshman year in high school, many, many fortnights ago. So you've been kind of witnessing and a part of the tiny house movement for a while now. When I remember reading about you in The New York Times before I was ever going to build a tiny house. I, and the tiny house movement has changed a lot. Tiny houses are getting bigger. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. What do you see as the, the future of the tiny house movement? I think it's still building, which surprises me and doesn't surprise me because for far too long we'd we've been taught that bigger and more is better. But at a certain point in time, you know, factoring the economy and other things, there's people who are just living beyond their means. And then as fossil fuel prices rise and other things, you have this giant showpiece trophy house. But later you realize, oh, I gotta heat this damn thing and these rooms I'm not using and I gotta furnish these and and the paint's peeling. Now we've got to repaint this giant 5,000-square-foot house. Um, so it's not surprising me that it's it's been grasped onto so much as a movement. The TV shows certainly have helped move things along. I kind of feel they've changed the scene because TV is not reality. You know, the shows that have continued and, and did better than ours and lasted longer. And I was even talking to Zach, Zach Giffen about this. And he's a very candid, like, just open person. And And he was agreeing, too. He's like, yeah, with TV, what it is is... You don't see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. They don't factor in what the labor would have cost. So it gives a uh, almost ill-informed view of what tiny houses truly would cost or how they're built. But you're seeing 
because you're reaching so many people, the tiny house visual message, you're seeing more and more people uh, kind of being initiated into the scene or learning of it through TV, where in TV, the idea is you have to wow them. It has to be extravagant. You have to have the weird bells and whistles. You know, you have to have that retina scan, you know, ID, you know, to, to use the bathroom or the table that unfolds and changes into a chair that then changes into a punch bowl, then a bidet. And that stuff isn't practical, but it costs money and it's changed the whole notion of the scene, the gadgetry and the gimmicks. Yeah, you start seeing that in it. Art affects life. You know, it, it people see those shows and then they're like, oh, I want a soaking tub in my tiny house. Yeah, and it's cool. It's clever. Like, I love the ingenuity, but in real applications, like, there's an old adage that anytime you have to transform, you know, human beings as a species, we're lazy, we're efficient. Anytime you have to transform something with more than one motion over time, you're just not going to do it. So like the old Ben Franklin, you know, ladder chairs, that's one flip and you're done. But if you ever saw that Kirsten Dirksen viral video about that Asian transforming apartment where the guy has to punch in a code and then do jumping jacks in front of the heat sensing device and then, you know, climb up three stairs, pull a lever and this and that before he goes to the bathroom and at which point he's already wet himself. It's take, taking too long. It just doesn't make sense. Like that's, that's a, it's a pain in the butt. So you're seeing more of that and people learn the hard way, like my bed that transforms or, you know, even the pulley style beds are cool, but they're a little bit cumbersome. Uh, and houses are getting bigger too. Cause there's a lot of people see the TV shows. Oh, that's cute. But I never could downsize that much. So I want a tiny house, but I want one that's 912 square feet and 58 feet long. It's like a giant missile or a cigar. I went in one recently that was 560 square feet on wheels. I was like, Oh my God. It was, I mean, it was basically, basically a modular home and it was cool. It was at, it was two years ago, actually with the Colorado uh, Jamboree. And I have a video of it, which, you know, I think for like, you know, head turning, you know, schlock value, it kind of went viral, but it's, it's a big, tiny house. And to me, it's like, at what point is it just not a tiny house or you've lost the initial impetus or meaning of the scene in those builds, but that, I mean, to each their own. So that, that's just my opinion on it. I feel like when you're getting to that size, that's fine because a 500 square foot house is still tiny compared to everything else. But at that point, to me, the utility of the wheels you're losing the utility because the thing's going to be so damn heavy to tow and you're just limited. You're, you've got, as you said, this, this missile, whereas, you know, 500 square feet as a, you know, a 20 by, you know, whatever, I don't do public math, just a more square (laughs) shape is a much better layout. I mean, I I put it this way when you need an Iowa cornfield to turn around with your vehicle, you know, it's really isn't working for you unless you just never plan on moving it. But what that loophole were technically it's in wheels. So I could move it if I had to, but it's almost like, you know, you see down, uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale or wherever, uh, Cape Canaveral when they're moving the space shuttles at like one mile an hour and they close on a town to drive through. That's what I envisioned with some of these houses. Cause some of them have gotten so huge. It's they're cool and they fit so many awesome things into them. But you know, like at what point is it, Better off, are you better off to just buy a regular old small 1930s? Like I don't live in a tiny house. I live in a bungalow. It's 800 square feet. Uh, you know, it's a it's a small house, not a tiny house. But for a family of four with a dog, it makes sense. At what point does it make more sense to do that than to live solo in 400 square feet? If you do the math, just things to consider. Yeah, you're actually living tinier. 
I guess. I don't know. You know, um, it's not a competition, though. And I think a lot of people online, it's the tinier than thou set in that mindset, which to me is anti, you know, productive. But hey, to each their own. Let them have fun. I liked at the Jamboree in 2017, I think Jay Schaefer said that his definition of a tiny house is a house in which all the space is being utilized by its occupants. Yeah. And I like that. Not to set a size on it, just to say, if you're using all of the space, then that's a tiny house. Yeah. I'm, I'm an indoor track athlete, so I have my, my running you know, <laughs> track inside a tiny house. There's been some weird things done in tiny houses. Like I said, I, I got to admit, I love seeing some of the shows where they, uh, the uh, Chattanooga, the uh, Live a Little Chat, they had a tiny house there where they can fit a hang glider into it for storage. That works for Brian, you know, who... who designed that house because he's a hang glider but for most practical applications it doesn't make any sense uh and there's one cat catwalks trampolines i mean i've seen i haven't seen any bank tubes yet to deliver you know liquor from the first floor to the second floor or like for laundry i haven't seen that yet but i'm sure it's been done or will be done soon well this is like the old meme uh, from pimp my ride exhibit yo dog i heard you like I heard you like ovens, so I put a toaster oven inside your oven so you can bake while you bake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That show was pretty comical. Like, they should combine that show, I guess they kind of have, with, like, Tiny House Nation or Tiny House uh, Big big Journey, is it called? Giant Journey, one of those. Tiny House Giant Journey, yeah. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. I I like to end with the same question for everyone, which is, uh, what are three books, resources, or movies that have inspired your work that you recommend to our listeners doesn't have to be tiny house related. Yeah. All right. Um, here's a weird one for you. My first book, cause it's graphic novel style. People think I'm joking, but it's heavily inspired by mad magazine and Al Jaffe. Cause it's all sketches. You know, I'm, I'm totally immature. I'm a big kid. Most people say, and I embrace that. So that would be one Al Jaffe and mad magazine. Um, the, the thing is, I have too many. Um, one of my favorite books that not many are familiar with, just from an inspirational journey sense, is Shanty Boat by Anna Hubbard. Oh, my God. I'm having like a mini brain stroke here. Here it is, my favorite book. I'm like, what is Hubbard? Harlan Hubbard and Anna Hubbard. They wrote it in the 30s. It's journal style. And they did three books where they were sick of the rat race and the city life around Cincinnati and built a shanty boat with no power and drifted down the Mississippi and lived off the land. Uh, and they built it with scrap wood and junk they found on the river. The book is awesome. And uh, I have to give a nod, and I always do, because I wear my influences on my sleeve. Um, I'll sneak in two more, though. Lloyd Kahn, I love anything he's done, and that guy is an amazing human being. His book, Shelter Publication, uh, publications are phenomenal. But Lester Walker is an OG in the tiny house scene that very few know of. Lester Walker's from Woodstock, Vermont, and he was one of the first people to ever write books on strictly tiny houses. His book is called Tiny, Tiny Houses, and it came out in 1985, and I got it the year it came out as a gift from my father. And that introduced me to tiny houses as, you know, almost adult forts. That's how I saw them, and I was obsessed. And I've worn out one copy and rebought one years ago, but Lester Walker is incredible and deserves way more credit than he has gotten. Deke Diedrichsen, thank you so much for your time. Good chatting with you. Hey, pleasure. Always awesome talking to you, Ethan. All right. Thank you so much to Deke for being a guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. We will have 
show notes from today's show, including links to all of the recommended resources that Deke mentioned at thetinyhouse.net slash Deke. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash Deke. If you have been enjoying the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, it would be fantastic if you could do us a quick favor, and that is to head over to Apple Podcasts and to leave a rating and review for the show. It may seem like a small thing, but your review will help other people find the show, which just helps spread the tiny house love even further. Also, if you are interested in designing and building your own tiny house, please check out Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is my comprehensive resource that will help you choose the systems for your tiny house, help you choose the building materials, the building style, everything that needs to go into your tiny house. We've got you covered. So to learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. This is Ethan Waldman, and I'll see you next week.